so sad. Wait, what? You hasn't even started yet? Where do you go to school? La Paloma? Is that in, where, is that in Menifee? Elsinore? Fall, Fallbrook? Welcome. That's awesome. This is far from Fallbrook. I love it. So you don't even have spring break yet. Okay, well, whatever. The rest of us are mad because we have to go back to school tomorrow, right? Yeah. For the most part. Okay, cool. All right, I'm not going. At a place called Catalyst West, it's a, a really big, cool conference they put on church. And so we had all these really awesome speakers, and it was really fun. And I had a great time until I got home on Friday night and realized when I was in the drive-thru at 10.42 p.m. at Popeye's, because, duh, that makes sense, right? Like, uh, I didn't have dinner, so I was at home. The kids were asleep, and I was like, I'm so hungry. I opened my refrigerator. There's, like, nothing. I'm like, awesome. And so I'm like, I'm going to Popeye's. It closes at 11. So I get down there. I'm in the drive-thru. I order my stuff, and I go to get my wallet and realize I don't have my wallet. So guess what Heather did? I lost my wallet this weekend, which is awful. Has anyone ever lost their wallet before? You guys are young, so you might not actually have a wallet to lose, but leaders that have lost the wallet know the problem with this. So not only did I lose $260 of cash, so we will be taking an extra offering for me today. I'm just kidding. That would be awesome. I lost money that I really could use right now, but whatever, bills, who needs to pay those? Um, and so I also lost my church credit card. So if somebody out there is using it, like, that's like a one-way ticket to buy, like, you know, Walmart stuff. That's bad news. Okay, I, they haven't used anything yet because I, I canceled it already. I lost my ATM card, and I lost my driver's license. So I drove here illegally today to preach to you guys. Don't tell anyone. Okay, cool. So I lost my license, but don't worry, guys. I um, got online, and I got the first available appointment in California DMV July 5th. Perfect. So Three months from now, I'll get a license. Just kidding. I'm going to go this week and have to sit in line for six hours. But then I told, somebody told me today to go to Hemet because it only take me an hour. Right? That's what they told me. They said, just kidding. Anyway, but um, so I, I lost my wallet. I was pretty sad. But um, so yesterday, I was kind of like getting back in the mood and prepared to like preach to you guys. And I was like kind of in the word and going over my notes and just like, okay, Lauren, I was in a pretty bad mood. I was like, oh, like life sucks. Because you know why? I'm going to have to change every single thing about my bill pay. Like it's all connected to my ATM card. I have to go to the DMV sometimes. It's been six hours. I mean, it's just like when you lose your wallet, it's a bummer. But it's like actually, it just sucks because there's so many other things you have to do, right? So like, get your life back. Uh, anyway, so I was kind of in a bad mood, but I was like, Lord, I'm preaching. Okay, we have this message, you know, whatever. And I'm like, but I don't know. And I just had this, this great time with the Lord yesterday, like prepping for this and like him sort of like shifting my heart because um, I was in a kind of a grumpy mood. I was like mean to my kids and my husband and my dog. I was like, just kidding, I didn't do that. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay, you're awake. I was just making sure you're with me. I do not kick my dog anymore. Um, so, <laughs> totally kidding, I don't kick my dog um, that often. So, I, I was excited to preach to you guys because I really feel like the Lord has a word for you guys this morning. Um, and I think it's something that really matters that I don't, I don't see a lot of young, young people recognizing how important this is and how it could actually be significant in changing your life. So I'm actually going to be really excited to talk about this. And it is, um, I'll just give you the title first. Oh my gosh, I dropped water on my notes. That's so awesome. Um, the title of my sermon is this. Ready? Serve, set, Spike, everyone say it together. Ready? Go. One, two, three. Can do that one more time while we all say the words? Go ahead. Stand up, my friend. Stand up, my friend. Ready? Let's say it again. Ready? Do exactly what you just did. Ready? One, two, three. That was amazing. That was perfect. You did exactly what I wanted everyone to think. So when you guys read this, what do you think of? Volleyball. Volleyball. Wow. We're amazing. 
Was it, tennis. Wow. Serve. How do you set the t- I don't know. But good, okay. Anyway, so you think of volleyball, right? So I, I kind of thought about this. Our top line, the, the main point of my, my message is this. It's in this seri- series, like we said, called Stay. Stay engaged in serving even when it's hard. So if you're taking notes on your phone or your journal or something, this is the main point. Staying engaged in serving even when it's hard. And uh, by the way, when I hear, have for the last four weeks been coming to church every week and hearing stay, the, like this, you know, who remembers last week? The first week was what? You need to stay in prayer. Did you guys remember hearing this? Because what? Oh, you got your community was last week. The first week of stay was stay in prayer. Right? Even when it's, I don't remember, inconvenient? Something? No, that was the next one. Um, stay, there was, stay reading your Bible, like stay engaged in the Bible, right? Um, and then there was stay in community, even when it's inconvenient, right? So the last one is stay in serving, even when it's hard. But um, when I hear the word stay, I hear this. You say, stay. I only hear what I want to. Don't let We are old. It's okay. It's looking You guys should go look up the song, Stay. It's a pretty good one. Anyway, um, that's what I always think when I hear the word stay this series, but whatever. So then I was thinking yesterday about this, even more about the volleyball thing, because I, I had like a week ago thought about this analogy, and I was thinking about it more. So when I was in seventh grade, anyone in seventh grade? Seventh grade? A couple of you? A couple of you? A couple of you? Okay, a few seventh graders here. When I was in seventh grade, I decided to try out for the volleyball team, which was an interesting moment in my life, because I grew up playing soccer. Anyone, any soccer players in the room? Okay, a few soccer players. I also played soft. I knew I liked you, Kat. I knew I liked you. Okay. Um, you play softball, baseball? Cool. I like it. Anyway, um, so, okay, I played soccer and softball growing up, but I had never played volleyball. So I tried out for the volleyball team because my best friend in seventh grade played volleyball. So I was like, I want to hang out with her every day after school because I would be bored if she went to volleyball and I went home. So I tried out for the volleyball team. And I made it, which is weird because I sucked at volleyball. But you know why I made it is because I had a really strong arm from playing softball my whole life. And so when I served the ball, it was like Olympic style, like throw it up. I was like, Rah! you know, like I like hurt kids on the other side of the court. It was beautiful. Like I, I would get like aces all the time because people were just afraid to like even like, you know, receive my ball. It was great. It was awesome. Anyway, but I remember this moment when I – um was in seventh grade, and I was on the team, and we had this game, and my mom came to all my games because um, she was, like, that mom. Like, she would never miss a game. She was my coach for, like, soccer and softball. So then volleyball was the first sport that she just had to come and watch the game instead of coach me in it. And so my mom's in the stands, and I can – in the gym, it's, like, all ready, and I go up there, and, I like, I was only on the back line, which in volleyball means, like, I would rotate in just to serve. I would, like, play the two more spots, and then I'd rotate out. I would never play front line because I could not set the ball. And I wasn't really tall enough to, like, actually spike it. But anyway, but I could serve really well. So I get up there to serve, and I remember hearing, I, like, go and get rid of the ball. And I was, like, you know, 11 or something. I was, like, pretty young in seventh grade. But I was, like, not doing this kind of serving. Not my ball. You know, like, some people serve like this where they, like, hold it, bring it up and hit it. I was, like, the full, like. You know what I'm talking about? Like Olympic style, 12-year-old. I mean, I think I was 11, actually, seventh grade. People were like, it's not that serious. What are you doing? But I could serve really well, and so I did. And so when I'd go up there and get ready, I'd, like, be, like, five feet back from the line to go, like, do my jump serve. And, like, I'd hear my mom from the stand. She's like, like you can, Heather, like you can. And actually, she'd sometimes say Missy because she called me Missy, which is... I don't know why, but whatever. Um, she, that was my nickname She was for her. She'd be like, like you can, Missy, like you can. And I was thinking about this as I was prepping because, listen, this might sound silly to you, but 
My mom would say this because what she was basically inferring was she knew my capability and she knew how I could serve and she knew what I was like able to do. And so as my parent who knew me best, she was like, when I get up there and it's my turn, she's like, you do it like you can. Like meaning she's like, I'm expecting you to kill it. I'm expecting you to serve. She probably did. But anyway, and so what I want to say to you guys is this, when we're talking about serving today, I think our heavenly father is like, Shouting from heaven, but not in like a mean, weird parent at the athlete kind of way, but in like a loving and like boisterous lion roar type of way, like get up and serve like you can. Because I designed you, I wired you, I know you best that you can serve and it's going to bring you to life. And right now, our generation, this young generation is like constantly dealing with stuff, but it's because we're all living inward and serving ourselves, right? But if we can learn to start serving and doing Living our life like we can, like God has enabled us to live, I, trust me, it will change your life. So anyway, so my first point is this. Bam, serve it up like Jesus, all right? So we're serve, set, spike today, just so you guys can remember the analogy, but serve like Jesus. How did Jesus serve? When you guys hear the word serve, what do you guys actually, if you hear the word serve or serving or service, a restaurant, you have a what? A server, right? And they're going to serve you food. Okay, good. What else do you guys think of when you hear the word serve or service or serving? Service. Church. A church service. No one said that last service. <laughs> See what I just did there? Well, it's that was good, Aiden. Okay. Service. You hear, You think you go to a church service, so you attend a service, right? Oh, you have another one from over here? What do you think? Military service. Yeah. People serve in the military. Okay, what's one more? A butler in England, the queen. But, yeah, when you think of the word serve or serving, you think of, um, you know, like the restaurant, the service, right, that you get. You think of, um, like we just said, the military. I love that one. No one said that last time either. Um, people serve. The military is probably the best example of this, right? The actual word serve and to serve something means to do something for someone else, right? It's sacrificing your time, your path, like whatever you need or want, and you're serving some of the needs of somebody else. And so someone last time said, like, when you get your car serviced, right, you take it to a mechanic to get it serviced, you're getting it fixed, you're taking it to somebody else, and that somebody knows what to do with it to fix it. I mean, that's a really cool analogy, but we're, we're meant to serve like Jesus. And how do we know what that looks like? Well, I'm going to tell you guys. Who brought their Bible? Harmony still has it. She, okay, cool. Anyone else have it? Their actual Bible? Just phone Bibles? Okay, come on, you guys, you guys, I, I'm challenging you. Oh, you have your Bible! Hallelujah. To remember that, like, the, having the Bible is actually a cool thing and important thing and stuff. And so, anyway, I want you guys to make sure, get one if you don't have one. We would love to give you one today. But anyway, if you do have your Bible or your phone app or your eyes, look up to the screen. We're going to put John 13, 1 through 17 up. And this is um, a story of Jesus. Here we go. It says, before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth and never to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So... He got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. Okay, let's pause right there. 
I want to I'm going to share some stuff with you guys about this this passage that you might not know. So this is at what's called Passover, which is a Jewish celebration. It was a big deal. It's also right before Jesus is about to die. It's probably maybe even like the week or a couple weeks before he knows that his death is coming. And so if you um, were Jesus and or, you know, or even just if you were you, which you are, so this helps out for the analogy. And you, and you could, you knew all of a sudden today, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die one week from today, right? Imagine how you would live this next week of your life. Right? If you knew, I'm going to die in a week, what would you not do? Like, what would you not get caught up in doing? You know what I mean? You're just like, I'm not going to waste my time with that. I think most of us, if we're honest, no matter what it was that we did, the whole point would, we would do it with the people we love the most. We'd spend the last week with, like, our best friend, our parents, our family. Like, we'd, we'd like, actually get along with our brother for the first time ever, and we'd actually hang out with him, right? Like, we would spend it with the people that we love. So this is exactly what's going on. Jesus knows he's about to die, all right? But he is hanging out with his disciples. We know this where he says he loved his disciples during his ministry time. If you don't know... Jesus lived a couple thousand years ago in the Middle East, all right? It was desert land. Anyway, and he had these 12 guys that he hung out with all the time and did ministry with. From the age of 30 to 33 is what we, what we pretty much know historically that Jesus lived. He was a real person, lived in real time, in a real country. These disciples were real people that are scientifically, historically, archaeologically proven to have walked the earth, okay? And so... Jesus was with them, and he loved doing life with them. He loved doing ministry with them. So the last week, he knows he's going to die. He doesn't say, like, I'm going to go to Disneyland. And Okay, there was no Disneyland in the Middle East. But he doesn't think, like, I'm going to go, like, do this crazy thing. He was just like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to hang out with my best friends. I'm going to be in them with the room. I'm going to eat dinner with them. I'm going to do normal things with them. I'm just going to chill with them. All right? And so Jesus is with these guys. And then it says that he starts washing their feet. He takes off his robe. He puts a towel around his waist, washing their feet. Now, we might be like, what is, that's awkward. Okay, could you imagine if culturally this was like a thing now? Like, you're having a party, right? Let's say you're having a kickback, and you're like, hey, everyone, come to my house Friday night at 9 o'clock. It's going to be awesome. Seriously, epic. Okay, cool. We're there. And then they, your friends all walk in, and you're sitting around in the front room. And then the, you, as the party host, goes in gets like a, a bowl from your mom's under the sink and gets water in it, and you get like some soap, a washcloth, and then your friends who are chilling in your front room, like you just sit down next to one of them, you're like, hey, what's up? Okay, I'm just going to start. And you start washing their feet. That would be really creepy, right? You're like, you're, <laughs> she's like, what is happening? Exactly. It would be so weird. We'd be like, what are you doing? Like, lay off my feet. These are my feet. Stop it, you know? But in that culture, what Jesus is sharing from is, Total normal, like totally normal because it's the desert. People did not have Uber, okay? They did not have their own ride. They had to walk everywhere they went. So you, hours per se, but like, you know, let's say you like took a bath in the river and you're all clean for the week. Um, but then you walk and the, your feet got dirty, crazy dirty fast. Anyone ever been camping, like to a campsite and had flip-flops on at the campsite? And by the end of the day, what do your feet look like? Black, right? They're like so gross. They're like just sort of like charred with like dark dirt, nasty, right? That is how these people, when they walked around, because they traveled all over by foot, everywhere they went, their feet would be very dirty. So when they came to a person's house, break bread together, when they came, it would very, be very customary that they would take off their sandals, sit in the front room, which was kind of like an entry room before you went to the place where you ate, and they would have a servant 
a hired slave, somebody that worked for that household, would come and you would sit there in the front room, put your feet on this little stool thing, and the servant would come and wash your feet. Okay, so this was a very normal thing because people were like, ain't nobody want your dirty feet up in my, you know, by my kitchen table. So they had this ceremony they did that was very normal. The difference in this story is that it's all of a sudden Jesus himself. And these disciples know him to be God. They have seen him in the weeks, months, and years prior doing miraculous things, like healing people, you know, like stopping the storms from, from like, just telling them peace. Be still. They knew he was God. And they're like, what are you doing? So he bows, bends down to start washing their feet. So we're going to pick up again right here. It says, when Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you will never, ever wash my feet. And Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Simon Peter exclaimed, then wash my hands and head as well, Lord, not just my feet. And Jesus replies, a person who has bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you, for Jesus knew who would betray him. This is what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, because that is what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger of these things. God will bless you for doing them. So Jesus gets down and he starts washing his disciples' feet. And Peter, who we hear a lot about, he's like, head honcho disciple, right? Peter's like, Jesus, so you're going to wash my feet? Like, no, like, where's the little slave kid? Like, come on, like, I don't, this is not funny, Jesus. He's like, you're washing my feet? And Jesus like, yeah, I'm going to wash your feet. He's like, no, you are never, ever. He's all, not going to happen, not, not today. Not today, Jesus. <laughs> okay, anyway, that was funny for those of you that know that we always, everyone always says, whatever. Anyway, so he says, no, you will never be made clean, which what he was actually saying to Peter is, if I don't wash you, then you can't sit at the table with me in the next room and do life with me anymore. That's what he's saying. So then Peter's like, okay, then wash everything. And then Jesus at the end explains this whole story. He's like, did you know what I was doing there? Did you see what just happened? He's like, I washed your feet, and now you should wash others' feet. So what does this actually mean? When you wash someone's feet, it's a, it's a great act of service. What Jesus was saying was he blessed other people, serve other people, do something in the life of another person that's going to help cleanse them. It's going to make them feel better about themselves. It's going to give them an invitation to sit at the table that's prepared for them, right? So that's what Jesus is showing us to do. So we need to serve it up like Jesus. Humble ourselves and serve others. Okay, that sounds great, Pastor Heather. What does it actually mean for a middle school and a high schooler? Well, let's move on to my next point. Point number two is this. Set your mind, know your gifts who we are and what we have to offer. So my second point is set your mind, which means we're going to figure out who we are and what gifts we have. So when I say that we all have gifts, okay, we're going to read a scripture that talks about this in um, 1 Peter 4. It's 10 and 11. So let's read this real fast. It says, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking, gift of helping others? 
Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ and all glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Okay. I want us to read this first line. We can look at it. Let's see. Oh, go back to the beginning. I want to show them this. It says, God has given some of you a gift. Oh, it doesn't? Oh. God has given really good-looking, talented people a gift. Oh, God has given, uh, saying, God has given what? Each of you. That means every single one of you, despite who you are, despite where you come from, despite the house you live in or don't live in, but despite anything, God has given each of you a gift. They're not just set aside for, like, the important people, the outgoing people, the pastors, the people that get a paycheck to do life and ministry. No, each of you, every single one in this room, God has given you a gift. But we got to know what they are. Maybe you guys have never taken the time to figure this out. So what I'm going to say today to you is set your mind on this. That means take action, do something, be proactive, and figure out what your gifts are. How can you do that? Well, glad you asked. Let me tell you. I would, if I were you, go home even today, get on your phone or your computer on the wonderful World Wide Web of the internets, <laughs> and Google spiritual gift test. Okay, if you Google that, spiritual gift will answer questions about yourself, and then voila, you'll push submit, and they'll be like, your gifts are, and it'll tell you what your gifts are. So you got to answer honestly. Don't answer like you think you should answer or like you want somebody else to think you would answer. Do it in private. Don't ask your friends. Don't ask your parents. You just take the test, answer honestly, and then you'll get an assessment. What are you doing to his ear? What is happening over there? What are you doing to his ear? Weird. Sorry, I got so distracted. Just Google spiritual gifts test. There's no actual website for it. There's probably a million, but there's a lot out there. They're really good ones. Just Google it. You'll be fine. All right. So take, take a spiritual gifts test today. And if you're Tykees, take it right now for the rest of my sermon because, you know, it's fine. It's totally fine. I'm just kidding with you. Anyway. Um, oh, perfect. Harmony's already taking it. Listen. Um, it is very important that you know your spiritual gifts. Also, it is very important to know who you are, how God wired you. It's about the Enneagram. I don't know if you've heard about this. It's like the new thing right now that everyone's into. It is awesome. It's this kind of really deep, um, kind of well-played-out personality test that shows you, how you what you're motivated from. Like, um, and when you take this test, it gives you a number. And then when you figure it out, you're like, oh, that's totally me. So I'm a seven which if you know anything about the Enneagram, you'll be like, yeah, that's not shocking. Seven is the enthusiast. It's like life is fun and freedom and outgoing and da 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 and I float around like Peter Pan. Yay. And so no, no big deal. Anyway, um, but I, that's my life. I get to be like this outgoing, fun, and it makes sense that like that's how I'm wired. And so it's so cool. Take the Enneagram test. There's a free version of it. I'm not trying to tell you to like go pay for anything. Just Google, if not that, just Google personality tests. There's hundreds of them that you can figure out that will give you what kind of animal you are, what's your favorite, what kind of color you are, what your, and it's just fun to like know. But when you know that, you will start understanding yourself. So let me, these scriptures are not on the screen. I just want to read them, tearing. One is Proverbs 2.10. It says, for, the, for wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will fill you with joy. So when you know yourself, 
you actually will find joy in like understanding who you are, how you're wired, how you're gifted. The second one is from um, Proverbs 8, 12, and it says, I, wisdom, live together with good judgment. I know where to discover knowledge and discernment. So do I. It's on Google, on the internet. No, I'm just kidding. Um, knowledge and discernment is from the Lord, right? But when we don't know ourselves and we don't know our gifts, we're not likely to actually get in the game, right? And just like I said earlier when my mom was like, like you can, Heather, get in there and serve, like begin serving, do what I know you can do. But what if I don't know myself? What if I never had tried out for the volleyball team and figured out that like because I had a strong softball throwing arm, I had a great serving arm, right, for volleyball? If I wouldn't have figured stuff out, I wouldn't know who I am. So here's the thing. Do not be somebody else. This is very important. There's only one you, and you are unique, and you are wired a specific way for specific reasons to bless others in specific ways. So don't think, oh, I wish I had this person's voice. I wish I could sing on the worship team because, oh, that sounds so, it's amazing. And God loves the worship team more than he loves anyone else because obviously look at them. They're so holy. Trust me, I know the worship team very well. They're not, I'm just kidding. They're great people. But listen, what I mean to say, all kidding aside, I wish I had this. I wish I could speak. I wish I had like the style and motorcycle of Pastor James. I don't know, like I wish I was as cute as Pastor Heather. It's not going to happen ever, okay? So just like, it's okay, be fine. That was a joke. Okay, anyway, I'm glad you left. But honestly, don't be somebody you're not. You need to be you because there's only one of you on the planet, Right? We need you, but you got to figure out who you is, right? You got to take some tests, figure out, ask some people, get some insight, get some win. You'll know how you can serve other people when you actually, right, put into practice these things. And if you're, like, not good at speaking, then don't try to become a speaker. It's okay, right? If you're not good at like, okay, when I take the spiritual gifts test, there's one on there that I'm like, it's like my lowest one. Because usually when you take a test, it'll show you like your strongest all the way down to like the ones that aren't really, you're, you don't really relate to. And so there's questions on there like, if you're at a party and there was, you want to stay around till the very end so that you can pick up everyone else's trash. I'm like, no. <laughs> Strongly disagree. <laughs> you know, it's like, so I do not want to do that. I want to be the last person in the party so I can talk to everyone and be like, how's everyone? I don't want to go behind and serve and set up chairs at 7 30 in the morning for church. Like, I don't. I, that's not how I'm wired. Doesn't mean I shouldn't do that sometimes. But listen, some people take that test and it baffles me. They're like, yeah, I. I just want to, you know, pins in the auditorium every single Sunday. That's what I want to do. And they find great joy in it because their spiritual gift is mercy and helps. Those are actual spiritual gifts. Just as important as preaching and teaching. I love that Peter, in this analogy, he only lists two out of the many gifts. He lists helping others and speaking. And I think he does it on purpose because in our society, we think speaking is the gift, right? If someone's a, pra- a pastor or a preacher, they just, oh, man, they're favored from the Lord. They're just good. They're still human, just like you're human. Their gift is no much more important than yours if helping others, like setting up, tearing down, actually doing stuff is just as beautiful, if not more, in the eyes of the Lord, right? So I want you guys to know it's really important to get to know yourself. Take some of those tests, and I'm going to wrap up with this one. The third thing is this. Spike your heart 
love others. So we got serving like Jesus, setting our mind to figure out who we are, how we're wired, what our gifts are in the first place, and then why this all culminates into this. Spike your heart. You know when you when I was thinking about this in the volleyball thing, like spiking means like you come over the net and you're like, and you like smash it, right? And then you like try to hurt the 12-year-old on the other side. But that's not what I thought of when I was when I was writing this. I thought of when you're when you have a spike in like your heart rate. Like if you're in the hospital, right, and you're not doing good, like your heart rate or your blood pressure is really low, all of a sudden sometimes there'll be like a spike, and that's a good thing. You're like not doing well, and there's a spike. To the medical staff, it's like, oh, this is hopeful. This heartbeat is coming to life, right? Something is spiking it up um, back into life. So here's what I think, that when we serve and we know our gifts and we give and we serve others, it causes us, this spike in our own heart, to truly feel alive, and so here's what I want to tell you, young person. I mentioned this earlier, but if you figure out your gifts and what you're good at, and I'm not talking like you're athletic or you're an artist or you draw or you are, you know, a good singer or you're funny, or I'm not talking those. Those are more talents. I'm talking your gifts. Like what wires you to serve the body of Christ? What wires you to serve people, to love others? When you figure that stuff out, You'll find such joy in actually doing it. It will make you come alive. It will make others around you come alive. And so I want you guys to think of it in that way. Like, who am I? How am I wired? And then what can I do to serve life, right? Because you know what? Your generation, like I mentioned earlier, deals with tons of depression, tons of anxiety, Tons of self-loathing, insecurity, worthlessness, like victim mentality. Oh, woe is me. Nobody likes me. I suck. I'll never be good enough. I'll never be like that person. And so then we sit in this lie, right, of like, uh, uh, and there's like flat line. It's like life. I just need to get through it. It's like no joy. But if you serve and start blessing other people, there's legitimate joy happiness, joy, goodness that can come when you take your mindset off of you and how bad your life is and how negative it is and how want, 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 want Charlie Brown it is. And I'm not downplaying your circumstance. We all have pain. We all have hurt. We all have things that are hard to get through. But when you take your focus off you and actually start serving other people, you in turn come to life. You're like, whoa, this is like I'm, this is much better. Life feels better now. There's something to live for. There's purpose. I want to read as Michael's coming up to play some keys behind me. It says um, this in Luke 6:38. Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full. Press down, shaken together to make room for more. Running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. And a lot of time we listen, to, we hear this verse when we're talking about an offering moment, like, you know, like, give money and then, you know, it'll be pressed down and then pressed down and you'll get it back. But this is actually also talking about how you give your life away. Like what you're doing, are you self-serving? Are you doing everything just to be about you? Or are you actually loving others, being a servant of the Lord, right? Are you actually going out there and loving others? Now, here's the thing. I'll wrap up with this story. You know, how many of you guys have had a birthday this year? Everyone, right? Everyone has a birthday at some point. It's not yet. It's going to come still. Okay, listen. But we all have a birthday. And when you have, I don't know if you guys are too cool because you're like middle school and high school now, so maybe you don't have birthday parties anymore. But I have a birthday party every year. And I'm 42. And I'm like, it's my birthday. Celebrate me. Total. It's a total seven move, by the way. Anyway, um, so I have a birthday. And I say, 
my birthday's not complete until somebody, some kind and wonderful person on the planet makes me a funfetti cake. All right. If I don't have a funfetti cake, it doesn't count as a birthday. That all my friends know it. So even my best friends that live like in other states, they'll text me on my birthday like, "Who's making you a funfetti cake today?" This year, my friend Lori, she's in the back. She made me a funfetti birthday cake, and it was yeah. You guys can clap for it. It was amazing. It was one of the best ones I've ever had. And listen, listen. She made me this funfetti cake. It was awesome. I loved it. And. She brought it to me a few days after my birthday to a leader meeting here. And so I got it. I was like, my birthday's complete. And I got the cake. I took a, a, a slice of it, and I ate the first bite. It was so delicious. And then I was like, no one else can have any because it was that good. And then I was like joking. So we still gave other people, some other leaders, and I took it home, right? And so I was like, yeah, birthday cake. So for the next, like, two days straight, I only ate birthday cake. I had birthday cake for, for breakfast the next morning, for lunch, dinner, midnight, right before I went to bed, you know, and then the next morning had it again because it's like so good. So all I ate for literally a day and a half was cake. Even though I love Funfetti cake, guess what happened? I got sick, right? Because all I was eating was sugar and goodness and birthday cake, my birthday cake, my gift that someone had made me. I wasn't getting the nutrients that I actually needed to not get sick. Let me tell you this. If you don't utilize the gifts God has given you and don't serve others and don't share it, you will become sick. You'll be depressed. You'll be angry. You'll be bitter. You'll be annoyed. You'll be frustrated. You'll be apathetic about life because your gift is not meant to keep to yourself. It's meant to be shared, right? There is a birthday cake that I should have eaten and been like, that was amazing. I did not need to eat that whole cake, right? When you share your gifts with others, it brings life to you. And you guys need to know that. Don't let your heart be sick by, by holding on to your gifts. Figure out your gifts and just jump in and start using them. Because we need you guys. We need you. The church needs you, but not just the church. Outside of the church needs you. At school, your friends, your teachers, the people that are alone at lunch, they actually need you to step up and start serving them. To not be about yourself anymore. Not being to see the other people around you and how you can bless them by serving them. Cool? So... We're going to actually, do we have time? Do we have time? Can I invite you guys up here? We're going to bring the band up. We're going to have our worship team come up. We're going to have a song. And as they're getting prepared, I just want to um, pray with you guys. And I want to say, maybe some of you, there might be someone sitting here this morning that you've actually never um, had a moment in your life that was a definitive moment where you said, you know what? I believe that Jesus is the son of God. And I believe that he died on a cross and that he took on a sinless life. And he actually did, just like in this passage predicts, he knew he was a week away from his own death. He predicted his own death and resurrection. If that's real, it's a game changer for everything else, right? And at this retreat, the conference, they talked about one of the sessions was about this, about the Bible, and how we've made that our idol as Christians. And that and it was very convicting and powerful because the reality is none of this book matters Unless Jesus actually rose from the dead. That's just us. I'm a pastor and I'm telling you that. None of this matters at all if you don't believe Jesus rose from the dead. That he was a real person that lived in real time, that was the son of God, that he was your creator. That he lived a sinless life, died on a cross, and rose from the dead, conquering the grave three days later. No one rose him from the dead. He rose himself from the dead. That's the difference. Because people tell me, you're right, but Jesus rose Lazarus and Jesus rose Jesus. 
right? So nothing of this matters unless you believe that. So my hope and heart for you today is if there's someone in this room that has not made the decision to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose to believe, I want to give you that opportunity. So if everyone can just bow their heads, close their eyes before we start this song, we're just going to say this prayer really fast. If you're sitting here this morning and you've never had the opportunity to say, I'm going to cross over that line of faith and trust that Jesus is who he says he is, then I want you to just look up at me, kind of wave your hand. I'm going to look around and I get my attention. You don't, no one else look around right now. Just if there's anyone, cool. Is there anyone that just want to make that decision today to follow Jesus? Okay, I want to pray with you guys. If you want to just say this prayer after me.